Welcome to the podcast. I'm Tim Dive, and boy, have I got a story for you. Even HR people make mistakes. Even the best of us make mistakes. Um, it's a funny one. Last week, I had a brand new employee start. So I've just hired a new employee. She's awesome. Um, all that sort of stuff. She's, she's settling in really well. It was a great first week last week. At the end of the week on a Friday afternoon, I turned around and said, look, good first week. Let's go and have a drink. There's a bar across the road. We'll celebrate, close the week down, go and have a great weekend. Um, what do you say? And she was all for it. So um, I don't know. I don't go to pubs all that often, if I'm honest with you. And I don't really go to many around the, the area. Um, but I know there's one across the road, not too far from the office here, across the road there. And so I suggested we go over there. Off we went. We drove over there. And as we're walking into this, to the, the, the sort of back entry of the pub, I turned to, uh, to Gabriella and I said, I haven't been here before, so, you know, I hope it's good. We'll just go and check it out and, and uh, hopefully we have a, 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 decent, a decent time. But let's just give it a go and, and see what it's like. So when we go towards the bar and the bar was closed, I was serving no drinks in that bar. So we took a walk around through the little pokey area to the other side of the bar. And uh, that's where they were serving drinks. And so we grabbed the wine list and, and ordered a couple of drinks. And I'm just having a chat to my side here to, to Gabriella very, very casually and briefly while we wait for the drinks to be poured. And then I turn this way and there's a naked woman right there. I didn't know it was a titty bar. Right? I had no idea this, this was a titty bar. I didn't even know they still existed, to be honest with you. Um, but, of course... I shit my pants. I turned around back to Gabriella and I said, I am so sorry. I had no idea. And she hadn't even seen it yet. And then she was looking at me with a bit of confusion. And as she, her eyes sort of went over my shoulder there, I could see that she realised there was a naked woman right next to me there. And so um, there you go. HR, HR director of a HR company takes a brand new employee, brand new female employee to a titty bar for, for a welcome drink in their first week. So how's that? <sighs> anyway, she's a great sport and um, she, I'm pretty sure she accepts my apology for that. But um, there you have it, you know, even, even the best of us can make mistakes. Um, anyway, it's a funny story. It'll be, it'll be a funny story to tell for years to come, I think. Uh, look, I, I think there's a lot of um, reasons to talk about company structures and contractors and, and um, how businesses are, are, are modelling themselves and setting themselves up with all these different um, employment law changes happening because it's a very interesting one. A, a common question I get asked, especially from those in the construction sector, is how do I set up multiple entities? You know, I want to get uh, as much work as I can. Um, they're fearful of the union element. They're really fearful of what that's going to do to their business. And so they ask commonly, can I set up an EBA company and a non-EBA company and funnel work through the different channels and use people across entities and that sort of thing? And well, the, the answer is pretty much yes. But it's just ways you've got to do it. Um, in the light of same job, same pay legislation coming up and further amendments from the government coming up this year, um, they're going to be targeting contractors, labour hire, contractors um, 
And even if you believe the business community, it's going to extend to, to, to genuine service contractors as well. Although they're trying now to get these laws carved out or the, the service, the genuine service contractors carved out of the um, legislative updates that the Labor government and the, and the unions will, will push through. All that's very confusing. So I think it's probably best and easier to talk about how businesses use company structures. Um, and a great example is how they utilize company structures, joint ventures and separate entities with enterprise agreements and then create another company internally as a labor hire company that has no coverage from those enterprise agreements, which is what the unions and the labor government are all upset about. And we can use BHP Billiton as the example. Luckily, I used to work for that business. And um, so I've got intimate knowledge of how one of their, well, one part of their business was set up. And we can use that as a great example. And look, this is not, this is all public knowledge. I'm not sharing any confidential information here or anything like that. Um, and, and, and nor would I, but um, it was a long time ago that I worked for that business. And who knows, it could, it could have changed now, but um, other businesses do this a lot. So let, let, let's, let's use them as an example, right? Because BHP Billiton is under fire for numerous reasons right now. The unions always target that business. They're a big top tier business and unions love those guys um, because they can get big numbers, big union uh, membership numbers in there and, and cause, cause some havoc and get some control. Um, but let's look at them. So they've, they've got recent uh, comments they've made about how these same job, same pay legislation would impact their business and cost them to the tune of 5,000 extra employees and all that sort of stuff. What does that mean, right? What does that really mean? Well, BMA, right? BMA is a joint venture. So BHP is BHP Billiton and BMA is one of their joint ventures. And that joint venture is between BHP Billiton and, and Mitsubishi. Um, Mitsubishi Coal, whatever, they, whatever their, their title is. Um, so it's the BHP Billiton Mitsubishi Alliance. That's BMA, right? They're situated, headquartered in Brisbane. They have just coal mines. Um, let's say for argument's sake, they've got seven coal mines. I think that's what they had back then when I was there. So what you've got here, you've got two companies and a third being the joint venture. Now, this joint venture essentially owns, you know, seven other companies. Those, those or assets, let's call them assets. Those coal mines in the Bowen Basin in Queensland producing coal are the joint ventures assets. Now, those assets are set up as their own companies as well. So you've got seven more companies set up now, right? And each of those, and, and you know, so that, that essentially means that each of those assets is its own profit and loss center. Um, now, those seven assets, those companies, those coal mines, they've got their own enterprise agreements for each one, all right? So let's recap that. You've got two companies who create a third as a joint venture. That third company now has um, seven other companies that it's controlling. And each of those companies has enterprise bargaining agreements specific to those companies themselves. So there's multiple layers there, right? Now, um, those enterprise agreements cover the, the coal mine workers at those coal mines. Um, speaking from experience, from the, the two operations that I was based at, um, the uh, CFMEU and the ETU, and, and, and um, you know, essentially they form a single bargaining unit, the SBU they were referred to. Uh, these unions would negotiate uh, the, the enterprise agreements and renegotiate them and that sort of thing. 
they got so entrenched in that business that even if you're recruiting somebody into that business, the enterprise agreement said the union had to be in a room. And that meant from an HR perspective, we had to train union members on how to interview, uh, what was illegal to ask, all that sort of stuff. But you know, essentially, they were controlling as much as they possibly could how that operation worked, um, what decisions it made. They, they were that embedded into the operations of those businesses that essentially the, the, the JV, the, the owner of those businesses, couldn't make any decisions on their own. Now, BHU Billiton has created an internal labour hire company. There's another company, right? So now we've got um, BHP Billiton, we've got um, uh, the, uh, Mitsubishi, we've got the joint venture, the BMA, the, the BHP Billiton Mitsubishi Alliance, we've got the seven coal mines who are their own companies and seven enterprise agreements. Now we've got another one right in the middle, a company that employs people and sends them out work uh, to, to, to coal mines to work. Um, now, I'm not saying this is how BHP Billiton operate today. I don't know. But this is what this is a, an explanation uh, of how uh, this type of model is utilised and, and why the unions are being, and the government is being so, um, so aggressive against it. The, the creation of that labour hire, that central labour hire company by BHP Billiton, um, what that allows that business now to do is to mobilise workers where they see fit, okay? They, that entity charges the other entity the, the labour hire fees, so the internal uh, movement of money is a far better uh, taxation benefit to the business. It, it gets taxation benefits for that. Um, it wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a loophole. It's just a smarter way to do it, okay? Um, so that central business now allows BHP Billiton to um, have no need to talk to unions, to involve unions in hiring decisions, to have unions control um, hiring processes and onboarding processes and all that sort of stuff, and also also affect the, 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 the mindset to a degree of those workers. And that business, BHP Billiton, can now use those same workers across all seven assets, okay, freely. It can't with the other with the other assets. The, the enterprise agreements that cover those other companies, those other coal mining assets that employs all those coal mine workers, they're stuck at those assets. Okay, so the union has a lot of control there. The union says jump, they say how high. The union says tools down, no work gets done. Uh, yeah, the, the, the union says this isn't safe, everything stops. The union says there's no there's no Milo left in the tin. We're striking until Milo comes. Essentially, <laughs> that, that's that's a real thing that happened once too. So, um, you know, so um, you can see the benefit of a business to avoid all that. You know, 30, 40 years of unions creeping in and creeping in and creeping in and getting more and more control over those companies and how they operate. Of course, BHP is going to create a labour hire business. Of course they are. They've got no control over their business. So, um, you know, it, it, what, what the union would uh, and the labour government are essentially saying here is that businesses, in that example, and they've named BHP, but they're saying businesses um, who are using company structures are doing it to create loopholes or to leverage loopholes with the intention to undercut union agreements. Bullshit. Not true, okay? Absolute bullshit. 
The union is just so difficult to work with and cause so many problems and have zero commercial um, thought or aspects to their, to their influence. Um, they bully, they harass, they do all those sorts of things, okay? Now, they do good things too, right? But the relationship between the union and the employer on those sites is terrible, okay? Um, there's two sides to this coin. If the union wasn't so bloody difficult to work with, companies like BHP would gladly work with them and, and, and have this two-way street. Um, but they're not, you know, we all know they're not like that. Um, so, of course, they're going to set that up. But look, that, that hopefully explains a little bit about um, company structures, their legal, how they're legally set up and established, and how businesses might see them as opportunities to be able to get some more um, uh, profit margin or some easier operations or whatever it is that they're trying to seek, um, you know, and, and get companies back under their control, get performance back under their control. So, look, why is that flexibility and freedom worth protecting for companies, right? Um, the union will have you believe and the Labor government will have you believe that companies are doing this, like I said before, to, to look at or find loopholes, leverage loopholes and undercut unions or essentially underpay workers is what they're saying. Um, it, it, it's, it's just not true, right? It's not true. Those larger businesses that are heavily unionised, um, you know, they have, pro they have serious productivity issues. The whole country has a major productivity issue at the moment, and that's, I'm sure you've heard all about that, being in the news. I've spoken about it a couple of times, and the Labor government and the ACTU and all their friends aren't helping. Um, but, you know, for, for a business that has shareholders, and let's not forget, BHU Billiton's shareholders are uh, pensioners, uh, mums and dads, uh, you know, there's mi millions and millions of them in Australia that are relying on BHP Billiton's performance and productivity and profit margins um, in, in their share portfolios in order to be able to retire, their superannuation, um, all, you know, all those things. Uh, so it's, it's not, you know, fat cats at the top pocketing all the money. That doesn't exist, right? Yes, there are some executives that get paid really well, but you know what? There are truck drivers getting paid 150 grand a year as well uh, and, and working week on, week off. The, the, the wealth does get split pretty well, right? Um, so it's important that we let these businesses be productive and find opportunities to be more productive, to bring more profit back to shareholders, to put more money back into Australian pockets and to help people retire. And that money goes back into the markets as well. So it's this attack on labour hire from the ACTU and the, and the, and the government um, uh, is dangerous on a far-reaching scale. And I don't think people truly understand that. Um, it's really easy for, comfort, for people to look at a company and think they're evil and think that they're making so much money and so, much, so many profits and they should be just uh, give it, paying all that to tax so the government can get it. And that's the government's view often too. So, um, you know, it, it's, it, I, I don't know why we will support the government getting more of our money through tax. So I think Kerry Packer said it, you know, that they don't do a bloody good job of spending it. So why should we give them more money? Um, commercial productive companies invest more in countries and that investment goes into the, the people's pockets at the end of the day. 
Um, that's 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 my honest view. Of course, there are bad actors and that sort of thing, but you know, there's bad actors everywhere in in every case. And I think the government does a far worse job um, of of looking after people from a financial perspective than um, than, ca than capitalist companies do. So um, that's that's just a view. That's just a view. Um, you know. Uh, other companies do this as well. You know, there was I've worked for for other businesses where they you know they've had other joint ventures and internal labour hire businesses. Um, this isn't something that's new. It's been around for a while, and um, it's something that works, and that's what and that's why they do it. Um, now, let's continue talking about company structures, right? Because it seems to me and. Uh, I don't know a lot of information. Not many Australians do just yet. There are eight employer bodies or employer representatives, peak bodies, that are in consultations with the government about this same job, same pay, labour hire legislation changes um, and how far-reaching these changes are going to be. Because, you know, Tony Burke, the, the Minister for Industrial Relations, if you listen to what he says, he's very minimalist. He's saying, yeah, don't worry about it. All this is going to do is, is you know, Genuine labour hire people are going to get more money. That's all. This, that's all this is. Um, it's just not true, right? It's it's the the, the knock-on effect of legislation change is far-reaching, and it go it goes way beyond that. Now, if you're a contractor right now, and your arrangements, your commercial agreements with your clients uh, are such that essentially you're, you're providing labour. Um, and you might be charging for labour and that sort of thing. Um, there's a good chance that you might fall into this uh, same job, same pay legislation, and be restricted by um, uh, by the law and have your costs driven right up. Okay, um, the service contractor, the genuine service contractor um, arra um, arrangements, the business community that have been part of these. Uh, consultations so far are saying they're trying to carve those out. So what does that mean? Let's say, for example, you've got a cleaning contractor, okay, and um, that cleaning contractor looks after, um, you know, a, a coal processing plant on, on a site or a big construction site or, um, you know, a big shopping centre or whatever it is, right? Um, and if that business has that scope of work given to them and they have the responsibility for supervision of the work being performed, that's sounding like that's going to be a key differentiator and that might be allowable or exempt from the conditions of the same job, same pay legislation that's going to come out. Um, so those types of businesses and those types of arrangements will uh, maybe uh, not be subject to the, uh, the top-up payments where other workers on that site are doing... Uh, work and there are higher rates being paid. So, you know, now let's let's consider that. Let's park that for a second, okay? Because we don't know if that's true. But what we know is that the business community is calling the consultations with the government an absolute sham. We know that. That's they've been pretty vocal about that. We've got a massive campaign running against the government about all that. Um, so, you know, the feedback coming out of those those closed door consultations. Uh, is very limited, but that's how we—that's what we know so far. Let's park that. A couple of years ago, the High Court made a, a determination on sham contracting, and that's changed the way that sham contracting works. Now, sham contracting is when 
an employer tells an employee essentially go get an ABN number. So um, you know, and they try to contract out of paying the entitlements of an employee, where that worker should should and could be an employee and and was being treated like an employee. Um, instead, they told them to get an ABN and they pay their own tax and that sort of stuff. So the company's not doing it right. Um, so there still is sham contracting, but what the high court is, the high court decisions have now um, determined, um, and this has also been uh, backed up by Fair Work Commission decisions as well. So it's now embedded. Um, is that if the, if you have a contract with any person who is a who has an ABN, who has an ACN, or whatever it is, um, and the contract itself is robust enough that it covers all the relationship terms and it's clear, it's not ambiguous and it's a contracting contract, um, that person's a contractor, okay? So why am I talking about that? Well, uh, employers who are worried about um, employee numbers because it's gonna bring them into coverage of um, you know, multi-employer bargaining and all these other things that the government's also made amendments to, um, I wouldn't, they wouldn't be blamed or I wouldn't blame them for now going to a full contractor workforce because that's easier. There's no, no extra cost, you know, there's no extra cost for it. You still got to pay what the market's paying people. Um, so there's no extra cost to it really. There's no extra risk, especially in, in um, industries like construction, for example, because it, there's an ebb and flow nature of that work. You're not really, um, you know, trying to, uh, of course you're trying to retain people, but your business productivity and success isn't, isn't reliant on, you know, long-term retention. Um, you know, businesses like, businesses like that wouldn't be blamed right now for just making their workforce as contractors. So um, let's go back to the same job, same pay stuff and why they're talking about contractors and service contractors and trying to carve, carve out pieces, pieces of um, contra contractors that shouldn't be touched by the same job, same pay law. Um, and I've been saying this for, for a while now, but... Um, I'm certain that the, the, the same job, same pay legislation, look, um, it doesn't affect that many Australian workers, right? Employees, there's not that many of them that are on, on labour hire arrangements. I think um, Australian Industry Group, AI Group, did um, uh, release some, some stats from the ABS. It's about 140,000 workers or something like that, and about 17, 15 to 17,000 of those may be working where there's an EBA. So it's a very, very small number of number of uh, employees who would actually be affected by this law. The government is banging on so hard that they're trying that they're 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 gonna stop undercutting those workers. There's not that many of them, right? The government knows this. They're not stupid. They do know this. They're just telling you a different story. So why do same job, same pay? and have such uproar about it and drag in business communities and consultations and media and all this sort of stuff, right? The ACTU, which is the Australian Council of Trade Unions and all their friends, the CFMEU, the ETU and the, all those guys, um, they absolutely want to use this to control the gig workers and to control independent contractors, okay? And casual workers, casual workforces, labour hire, independent contractors, gig workers. They hate it. They absolutely hate it. So they're using this same job, same pay as a, a, a bit of a, a tool to, um, I suppose, in an attempt, and this is this is a big call for me to make, um, but I'll make it, you know, um, 
probably an attempt to wind back the high court's decisions about contractors. Um, this piece of legislation will now drag them back in, back into the, back into the fight. Um, so, you know, this is why it's important that we all know what's going on. We all know what uh, legislation means and what updates and amendments will actually mean to the wider business community and, and workers and that sort of thing. Um, you know, labour hire creates productivity. Casual work creates productivity. Independent contracting creates productivity. Gig workers create productivity. Um, all those arrangements give people the freedoms that they want and ask for um, in their workplaces, you know, to handle their own their own personal lives. Um, you speak to any to workers in construction; they want to be contractors. You know, you try and give you try and give them a permanent job; they don't want it. They, they want to be a contractor. They want to be in control of their own destiny. They want to um, charge their own rates. They want to work when they want to work. They want to take on jobs they want to take on or not. Um, and you know, the, the the labor government and unions are just well and truly out of touch with those people, and in reality. Um, look, so that's that's a good explanation, I think, anyway, of why it's important to to understand and argue for what you believe in, because um, you know these productivity issues we've got, inflation issues we've got, all that sort of stuff. Un you know, unemployment's really low. Um, all these issues and factors that impact our cost of living and our well-being and our future and, and our um, you know the how well we can live our lives. This is all going to be impacted by Labor's workplace law amendments. Industrial relations affects everything. Um, another, another interesting piece of information that I read this morning, um, and it's been going on for a couple of years now, but the, the, you know, the CFMEU, and again, I know I, I mentioned this particular union quite a bit, but anyone who works in my field does because they're so militant and aggressive and, um, and they're just known for that. Uh, but for a couple of years now, there's been internal um, struggles with that with that union. Um, those who don't know, you know, it, it, it became a bit of a super union a few years back when it merged. Um, it became the CFMMEU. Um, so, you know, it, it became um, a, a really large, powerful union and the most powerful that Australia's probably ever had and probably ever will have. Um, but internal fighting as as normal, you know, you grow too fast, you do it silly in a silly way, you don't you don't have um, you don't have the stakeholders all on board with how you're growing and that sort of thing. Just like any, any company, you're going to have infighting and splitting and, and division and mistrust and all that sort of stuff. And that's the case for the CFM and the EU. Um, so for a couple of years now, the mining and energy factors of that union have been um, pretty unhappy. And they've been uh, unhappy with John Setka, who's um, taken leadership of of you know you know the, the the union. He's from the construction side of things, and he's done some very questionable stuff, questionable decisions, favoritism, and, and all that sort of stuff. That's the that's the allegations, anyway. Um, and the mining and energy fact uh, faction of that union uh, have voted now. Um, it was something like a 95, 96% vote to exit and leave the CFMEU. So um, that, that they will now put an application into the federal court, I believe, and, and the court will make a decision uh, on that, um, on how that separation happens. And why does the court have to make a decision on that? Well, the mining and energy faction of that union own about $100 million worth of assets. And they're by far the wealthiest faction of that large union. 
that's a big blow to the CFMEU. You know that, that that they spruik. We're so big. We're so powerful. We've got all the all, all the power to to make change and to support you and that sort of thing. And they don't anymore. Um, and what's more, the manufacturing side of that um, uh, union is also uh, seeking to leave it as well. So that's going to be a very interesting couple of years for the CFMEU. Um, you know that I've got clients uh, all over the country who have been reporting pretty aggressive tactics by that union, um, and maybe maybe the splitting and division of the union, um, the splitting up of it, will actually help to, uh, to to temper that a little bit. We can only hope, I suppose. Um, Look, I might leave it there. There's, there's, that's a, a, a healthy update, I think. As always, go over to www.workplaceas.com. There's other podcasts there. There's employee management tools you can download for free. There's advice. There's um, legal updates that you can get, you can, you can subscribe to. Um, and you can also book consultations at the website there as well. So get over there, check it out. Um, get in touch. Let us know what you want us to talk about. I'm happy to, to talk about particular topics that affect businesses. Um, and as always, keep a tight workplace and we'll talk again soon.